You may be seated. Well, you got to stand a little extra. Nobody got that. But anyway, it's another one of Gordon's jokes that only he gets. Hey, we're in a series called God Is Today, and I want to share with you at the opening a couple of verses and see if you can pick up the theme, if you didn't pick it up already, of what today's topic is. Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 23 says, The Lord's compassions are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The psalmist writes, Psalm 36 and verse 5, Your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. Again, Psalm 100 and verse 5, For the Lord is good, his love endures forever, his faithfulness continues through all generations. And finally, the Apostle Paul declares in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9, God, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, is faithful. Now, what's the theme for today's, or what is today's topic? God is faithful. Somebody said merciful. Not sure. Anyway. All right, you did get that one. All right. Well, anyway, we're rolling on. So God is faithful. That's right. Um, and our text today comes from uh, Psalm chapter 89. And what Psalm chapter 89 does is it celebrates that God is faithful. It declares that God is faithful, but it also co- brings into question, you know, there's some times in our life that perhaps we begin to wonder whether or not God really is faithful. And so this psalm kind of sandwiches those two together, both declaring God's faithfulness and also questioning it and kind of bringing us to the brink of that question and helping us understand that a little bit better, our life circumstances. So um, as is our custom here, I'm going to ask if you would to stand for the reading of God's word, Psalm chapter 89. We'll be reading the first four verses of that chapter. Let's begin reading together. Psalm 89, beginning at verse 1. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth, I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you established your faithfulness in heaven itself. You said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generations. You may be seated. Thank you so much. All right, so I just want to walk through these verses together. Before I do, I want to just say here at the front end that this particular psalm, scholars do not believe, was written by David. This was written by perhaps someone else um, well after David had died. Um, There's some indicators within this chapter that suggest that this was, there's some incidents going on later in Israel's life that perhaps this was written during the years after David's son Solomon died, and Israel was split into two nations, north and south, Israel in the north and Judah in the south, and Rehoboam being the king. There are some indicators in the text that would, would make us think that. Other scholars believe that this was written in the year 597 B.C. when uh, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians came and laid siege to the city of Jerusalem for a second time. Again, there's some indicators in the text that would cause us to say, well, maybe this was written about that time. And then all these psalms were compiled later, uh, later on. And, uh, but the point is that whichever the date or whichever, whenever it was written, um, the psalm affirms God's faithfulness. Let's take a look at verse 1. It says, with my mouth, I will make your faithfulness known. Verse 2, I will declare that you established your faithfulness in heaven itself. In other words, God's faithfulness is not something that he established down here on earth where things tend to change, but rather God's faithfulness is established in heaven where things are locked, solid, eternal, there forever. Now, what is it that the psalmist has in view? What is it that God is being faithful to? He goes on to say, verse 3, you said, talking to God here, God, you said, you're on record as having said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one, and the chosen one that he's talking about here is King David. You said I've made a covenant with my chosen one, verse 4, that I will establish David's line forever. 
and make his throne firm through all generations. So the psalmist is affirming that David made a solemn pledge, a solemn promise to King David, that God would establish David's dynasty, his dynastic rule, if you would, forever, and that this would continue on forever and ever. God said, verse 4, I will establish David's line forever. God is on record as having said that. You say, well, where did God say that? Well, flip over in your Bible to 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7, this is after David becomes king of Israel, and God says to him in verse 16, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne, David, will be established forever. So God made a verbal commitment to David. God entered into a covenant relationship with David. And the covenant is the most sacred, the most solemn, binding promise that one Hebrew can make to another. And God makes this sacred, solemn promise to David that David's bloodline, his dynastic rule, will continue on forever and ever. And in hindsight, here we are in the 21st century, looking back on history, we can confirm that indeed this is true. The Lord Jesus comes from the tribe of Judah, which David came from. He comes directly as a descendant of David from the bloodline of David. And Jesus Christ has been set up after his resurrection as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he's the forever king who reigns over the earth and all the peoples of the earth and all over all of eternity forever and ever. And in this spiritual and literal sense, Jesus is the continuation of David's bloodline, the fulfillment of God's promise to David forever and ever. So we can see in hindsight, we can look back and see that David's, uh, that God's promise to David has been fulfilled. And so the psalmist uh, knows of all this, or at least knows of God's giving his word, knows of God being faithful. He knows that God will always keep his end of the bargain. He can look back through uh, the history of Moses. He can look back through the history of Abraham, and he can see how many of God's promises through history at that point in time, up till that point in time, had been fulfilled. And so he says, look, God is faithful. He declares this in the front half of the chapter. The psalmist is not the only one, however, that knows that God is faithful. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 8, Isaiah says that though the grass withers and the flowers fall, the word of our God stands forever. What God speaks, it's forever. It's always going to hold. You can count on it. Paul writes Titus chapter 1 and verse 2, our faith and knowledge rest on the hope of eternal life which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. So God spoke these words. God promised these words. And Paul says, when God says something, you can take it to the bank. The psalmist knew this too. He goes on to say, verse 8, O Lord God Almighty, who is like you? In other words, we don't have anybody down here on earth who when they give their word, it is as good as gold. It is absolutely going to happen the way God said it is. He says, you alone are mighty, O Lord. Your faithfulness, it surrounds you. He's so faithful. His faithfulness just surrounds him, the psalmist declares. Folks, this is the consistent view of the Bible. 68 times in the Bible, the Bible declares that God is faithful. And so we sang about that this morning. And that and what, what does that mean, that God is faithful? What is he being faithful to? It means that God is faithful to keep his word. It means that God is faithful to keep the promises that he's made. It means that God will not lie. It means that you can count on God to do what God said God would do. That's what it means. Okay, well, that's our very short treatment of this topic for today, which brings us to that point in the sermon, and we come to this point each week, where we ask our most important question, what difference does all this make 
to my life. You say, Gordon, I mean, that's really great. Good to get a little, little view in there. Psalm chapter 89. That's good to learn some of this stuff about God is faithful. I mean, I appreciate the good doctrine there. I like the good songs this morning and enjoyed singing them. But I mean, I got a costume to get. I got trunk or treat decorations to figure out. I mean, what does any of this have to do? What difference does this make with my day-to-day, Monday-to-Saturday life? Well, let's talk about that. You see, there's another half to this chapter. And the second half of this chapter is a very honest questioning of God's faithfulness. It's a very gritty, very honest uh, questioning of God's faithfulness. As the psalmist looks around and surveys the circumstances of his own life. And so he looks at God's faithfulness on the front half of the chapter, and then he's surveying the the circumstances of his own life on the second half of the chapter, and he begins to say, God, I'm waffling on this idea of your faithfulness. So let's take a look at the psalmist's honesty here. Uh, Go to Psalm chapter 89 and verse 29 says, remember, God, when you said, I will establish your line forever. So he goes back to his former point. God, I'm reminding you again of the things that you promised, that you said David's throne will, will as long as the heavens will endure. You said, verse 33, I will not take my love from David, nor will I ever betray my faithfulness. Verse 34, I, God, will not violate my covenant or alter what my lips have uttered. Once for all, I have sworn by my own holiness. I will not lie, God says to David. Verse 36, that his line, here's the promise, will continue forever and his throne will endure like the sun. And so the psalmist has got God on record that God is going to be faithful. But remember what we said at the beginning of the sermon, that this psalm was written years after David had died and there's trouble in Israel. Uh, As you learn a little bit later in the psalm that the walls of Jerusalem have been broken through and that people are coming through and they're just helping themselves. They're just plundering the city of Jerusalem. And so the psalmist, taking into account that God is faithful, he's made these promises, he's on record as having said this stuff, and he's surveying the political impotence of his government and of the nation of Israel and of its current state of ruin. He's saying, God, I'm having trouble seeing your faithfulness here. He says in verse 38, why God? And I'm just saying it honestly as I'm calling it God. Why have you rejected? Why have you spurned? Why have you been so very angry with your anointed one, with the people of Israel? Verse 39, why have you renounced the covenant with your servant? At least it seems like that's what's happening. And you've defiled the crown in dust. Verse 40, you have broken through David's walls and reduced his stronghold to ruins. I mean, God... This doesn't look like you keeping your promise. This doesn't look like your faithfulness on display. In other words, God, what happened to your promise? What happened to, I'm faithful. I do not lie. I will always do what I said I would do. What happened to that? Ever felt like that? Sure you have. I mean, if you're human. You have asked these questions. You know, one of the things that I love about the scriptures is that they are honest. The scriptures don't elevate God to such a place and put mere mortal man at such a lowly place that we're not able to ask questions of him. That God is always right and we can never have doubt. 
the scriptures are very, given a very honest assessment, assessment of who God is and our circumstances. <clears throat> and so it's willing to ask those kinds of questions. God knows, friends, that suffering and pain and heartache will come into life. It'll be part of our experience living in a fallen world. Tears will fall. In heaven, they'll be dried up. But here on this earth, tears will fall. And it will lend us in those moments to ask questions like the psalmist, God, what about your faithfulness? You've made me these promises, Jeremiah 29, 11, where I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, plans not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. God, you've made me these promises, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19. My God will supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. God, you've made me these promises. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. I will not tempt you beyond that which you can bear. I won't put more on you. And we're going, I'm pretty much at that point, God, right? God, you've made me these promises. Psalm 89 and verse 4, the psalmist says, I will establish David's line forever. And I'm looking at broken down walls and a government that's in ruin. And so there's this juxtaposition, right, that the psalmist is wrestling with between God is faithful. I want to declare that. I want that to be true. And his present circumstances. You know, when faced with this, some of us have thought about some of us have considered, some of us have known people who have walked out on God. Let me tell you why I think that happened. I think people walk out on God because they have a flawed view, a misconception of God's faithfulness. You see, we tend to believe that God's faithfulness means that I'm going to be happy. We tend to believe that God's faithfulness means that I'm going to be blessed. We tend to believe that God's faithfulness means, like it translates naturally into, I'm going to prosper. And we tend to believe that God's faithfulness means that though my neighbor's transmission went out, that will not happen to me. I prayed about it, right? That God's faithfulness means, though I may suffer in this life, it won't be any more than what's tolerable. And that's our view of God's faithfulness, that because God's faithful, then, you know, X, Y, Z on the other side. And friends, that's a false view, a flawed view of God's faithfulness. Let me show you. Flip over with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. And uh, Hebrews chapter 11 is known as the Hall of Fame of the Bible, or the Hall of Faith, you might say. And there's a bunch of people listed off from the Old Testament in Hebrews chapter 11. People, great patriarchs of the scriptures. You got Noah in there. You got Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the great patriarchs of the Jewish uh, nation. Uh, you got Moses and the miracles. They talk about a lot of the miracles that Moses uh, led the people of Israel through the Red Sea led them out into the desert. They were, they were, their clothes didn't wear out for 40 years, right? And, and delivered them into the promised land. Talks about Moses. Uh, talks about some of the great uh, prophets of God. It talks about 
Samson. It talks about Gideon. It talks about Rahab. talks about David. talks about Solomon. I mean, it lists off all these names of people uh, who were considered the hall of fame of the Bible, right? Well, let me share with you their experience according to the Scripture. Middle of verse 36. Verse 36. It says, Some of them faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. Verse 38, the world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And then verse 39, and this is our key to it all. These were all commended through the ages, celebrated by the nation of Israel, celebrated by us still today for their faith. That is for sticking with God through hardship. Yet, and here's the kicker, none of them received what had been promised. That is, during their lifetime. The promise was fulfilled. God is faithful. He'll do what he said he's going to do. But for these, in Hebrews chapter 11, many of them never saw the promises that God had made kept in their lifetime. And the scriptures say, and we commend them for remaining faithful. Friend, if God's faithfulness to you means ease in this life and the absence of tragedy, I have bad news for you. You will eventually walk out on God. If that's your view of what God's faithfulness is. On December 14th, 2012, a gunman walked into Sandy Hook Elementary School and opened fire. He took the lives of 20 precious six- and seven-year-old children and took the lives of seven of the staff of that school. Senseless violence, pure evil. And I remember in the days after that, hearing a lot of people say, how could a good God who's omnipotent and powerful and could have stopped this, how could a good God have allowed something like that to happen? I'm done with God for some of the Facebook posts I remember reading. Well, I'm not a Facebook person, but uh, I did decide on this occasion to jump on there and uh, share a few thoughts. And here is what I wrote. I've been hearing a lot of God doubt these days as a result of the shooting in Connecticut. The rationale, how can a good God allow something like this? First, let me say that my heart goes out to those who are struggling with this question, who are making the choice to walk away from God because of it. The answer is that we live in a fallen world, that is, a world that at its core wants to do what it wants to do. Combine our fallen state with our free will, which God will not violate because our love and worship of God, if compulsory, would not be authentic. So when you combine our fallenness with our free will, you get, in some extreme cases, atrocities. The point of God's interaction with us throughout human history, and most clearly demonstrated in Jesus on the cross, is his desire to redeem us from our fallen state. 
As Paul wrote, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Galatians 2 and verse 20. The old person that Paul used to be who condoned the murder of Christians and who threw husbands and wives in jail and let their children become orphans, that horrible man had been redeemed such that his life after inviting Jesus in reflected Jesus' character and heart. He had been transformed. One more thought. The more that we distance ourselves from God, the more chaotic and destructive our society will become. Now more than ever, we need to run to God, not run away from him, as we see this downward spiral magnified around us. Difficulty will come. Tragedy may strike. We've seen atrocities in our own society in recent weeks. Ones that may make some people, if their view of God, their view of his faithfulness is a flawed view, walk out on God. Friend, my hope is that your view of God's faithfulness is not that he bring you ease in this life and the absence of tragedy, but one that says he is, in the, he is doing the work of redeeming us in our fallen world. Let's bow our heads. Most gracious God, we thank you for speaking to us today from your word. We thank you for encouraging us by letting us know what you're up to. Your goal in, life, in our life is not that we would have the absence of suffering. That's not it. We can read through that list in Hebrews chapter 11 and see over and over again where the faithful suffered greatly. Lord, your expectation and hope for us in our life is that we would turn over the sum of our being, that we would give over the totality of our energy, of our desires in life to serving you. And that God, whether we see your promises fulfilled in our eyes or in our children's eyes or in generations to come, we will sing the song of heaven. God, you are faithful. Lord, speak to us as we share this bread and this juice representing your broken body and your shed blood. Encourage us in our own suffering. Encourage us continue in our faith with you. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen.